time to make the crunch time plays. Now your host, Bennett Gainey. Bennett Gainey. The crunch, crunch, crunch time plays. This is Pat Smith from Three Man Front, and you're listening to Crunch Time Plays. Hey there, it's Brooks Austin with Sports Illustrated's Dogs Daily. You're listening to Crunch Time Plays. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Tara Talmadge with the Pig Trail Nation, and you are watching and listening to Crunch Time Plays. Hey, it's Jim Dunaway from the next round, and when it comes down to the final ticks on the clock, always look for Crunch Time Plays. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Crunch Time Plays today. Whether you're watching us on YouTube, listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, thanks so much. Got another exciting guest for you today, talking Ohio State again with Steve Hellwagon from Bucknuts 24-7, covering Ohio State for, for a long time. Going to get him in here in just a moment, but first got to give a shout-out to prizepicks.com. Started out kind of iffy-iffy on our college football fantasy props of in week one, did hit on C.J. Stroud. If you're an Ohio State fan, going over those 232 passing yards in game one. So looking forward to to getting the props with him uh, throughout the season as well. But for everybody, they've got anything you want. They've got NFL, Major League Baseball, NBA, whenever it starts back up. But re- we're really diving hard on college football, giving out our, our yardage over-unders and different things like that. If you use the code crunch time plays, you automatically get 100% guaranteed match up to a hundred dollars so if you put in a hundred you get a hundred dollars in promo credit if you put in 50 you get 50 so again that's crunch time plays use the promo code on prizepicks.com but we're very excited to to welcome steve hellwagon back today steve what's up brother not much just uh trying to stay cool out here in ohio and waiting for saturday the big uh, home opener for ohio state um you know, first home game for the Buckeyes since the uh, with fans since the end of the 2019 season. Uh, Penn State was the last home opponent they had when they had fans. Obviously, the last year the crowd was kept in the 1500 range or smaller with friends and family because of COVID. But uh, should be a big event Saturday at Ohio Stadium. No doubt, I know everybody's excited to to get back into the shoe, especially for such a for such a big game and. And I know everybody makes a big deal about it's kind of to start off with everybody makes a big deal about the, you know, kind of the travel and an Oregon obviously coming uh, to the shoe on Saturday and obviously being an early kick, being a noon kick on Fox, just how, what kind of, what kind of advantage or if any, does that give Ohio state and, and, and disadvantage for, for Oregon? Oftentimes we hear about, you know, the body clocks and different things like that. Just how much do you think that really plays in uh, to Oregon uh, during this game? I think it can make an impact in this game because, as you say, um, this game would kick off at what would be 9 o'clock, the equivalent of 9 o'clock Pacific time. And Ohio State during the preseason, at least a lot of times, they would practice that early in the morning. Uh, because of class schedules in the afternoon and these kind of things, and because it's also cooler in the morning before you get up in the heat of the day where you have 85-degree temperatures and 80% humidity and you don't even want to be outside. So it actually works to their advantage to practice in the morning when it's a little more uh, you know, enjoyable or, or easier, I guess, to be outside early in the morning. So 
My guess is that uh, Oregon did some of that during the preseason uh, just to prepare for playing an early game at 9 a.m. Pacific time, as you would think. And again, what can you do? I mean, it, it is what it is. The television sets the times for the games. The Ohio State fans aren't the least bit happy about this. They would rather the game be at 3.30 or 7 o'clock where they have a full day to party and get ready for the game and and make it a big deal. A noon game means you have to get up early in the morning and hustle down there and get a parking spot and get your tailgate set up and no sooner have the first sandwich and a drink and turn around and tear the thing down and go inside and go to the game because you want to be in there when the band comes in at 1130. So it's just, you know, it is what it is. Um, but for the players, again, um, you know, maybe a slight impact, maybe worth a few points in the home field advantage for Ohio State. But I don't, I don't think it's a, a going to tip the game one way or the other for Ohio State to win the game just because it's being played at noon Eastern time. Um, I feel bad, really, for all the Oregon fans, the Pac-12 fans that want to watch this game. They have to get up early. I mean, granted, it'll be the only. Pac-12 game on television at that time of day, but um, it really shouldn't be like that. Uh, you know, when the Pac-12 teams come out east, the earliest they should have to play is, you know, noon Pac Pacific time or 3, 3.30 p.m. Eastern time. Yeah, I definitely, definitely agree with you. And it's, it's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of people out there, a lot of Oregon fans having their having their breakfast and uh and sitting back and, and watching a little football which I know that that's what I know that's what they're dying to do Steve on Saturday morning is is to have their have their breakfast and watch uh watch Oregon and Ohio State uh, on the east coast. Yeah. Well, the one positive thing is the game's over by 12:30 uh Pacific time. You've got the rest of the day to go out and you know, go to the park and take a walk or clean out your gutters or clean out your garage. So uh, you've got uh no reason for those fans on the West Coast that are going to watch this game uh, to uh, to not take advantage of the rest of the day, I guess. <laughs> no doubt about that. Well, we're, we're tying, it, tying it back in to, to C.J. Stroud, obviously, in game one against Minnesota. Pretty pretty kind of what we all expected in the first half. There was thought Ryan Dave kind of kept it a little bit close to the vest in terms of, of calling plays and different things like that. But he really, really opened it up in the second half. I thought C.J. Stroud got a lot of confidence in the second half. And and then when you got guys like like Olave and Wilson on the, on the outside that can create those explosive plays, all you have to do is get the ball to them. It definitely gives a, the young quarterback a lot of comfort in knowing that there's uh, so many weapons out there for him to throw to. Just what, what, did, what, did, what was your impression of, of C.J. Stroud in game one. And and everybody always talks about making the biggest jump from week one to week two. What are some areas that you feel like he needs to make the biggest jump in uh, from week one heading into this monster matchup against Oregon? Yeah, I think you made some great points there. Uh, he looked like a quarterback who had never really played much before in the first half. Uh, through an interception, the ball was behind Chris Olave and a little bit high. And – in the second half, uh, Coach Day went to him and said, and his teammates went to him and said, we're going to keep going to you. You know, we're not going to back off the throttle here. And Ohio State hit three or four big plays for touchdowns in the second half. He was five of eight for 230-some yards passing 
and four of the five completions were touchdowns in the second half. So uh, he hit some big plays to Olave and Wilson in particular, but also uh, through a screen pass over the rushing defensive end to the freshman Travion Henderson, outstanding running back. He hauled in the pass, turned up field and picked up some blocks and was gone on a 71-yard screen pass touchdown. And uh, Stroud gets credit for all those yards as if he threw the ball, you know, 40 yards downfield. But, uh, you know, again, Wilson and Olave, a tremendous security blanket for a young quarterback. The offensive line kept him clean. There were no sacks. And honestly, very few mistakes for him. I think uh, if he wanted to clean something up, as he said, um, for whatever reason, his mind just wasn't exactly uh, with it in the first half. And it could be a case of, you know, you've dreamed your entire life that this moment was going to look like this. And then you get out there and it looks a little bit different. Minnesota's got some guys, you know, leaking through here and there. Their coverage is a little tighter than you thought maybe it would be. It's a night game. It's kind of sprinkling rain. The crowd's getting into the game. They didn't play in front of any crowds last year. So not that he played a whole lot anyway. So he only saw action in three games last year. Never threw a pass. So the very first play, they throw predictably a swing pass out to Garrett Wilson. And it was a great call to get him started. And again, I think he was maybe not 100% with it in the first half, but his teammates and his coaches stayed with him, kept his spirits high. In the second half, he hit some big plays. And it remains to be seen if it's going to be feast or famine on these big plays for Ohio State. If this is what they're going to depend on week in and week out, there'll be some teams that they play that take those away. you got to be much more consistent on offense. So, on the whole, I think there is plenty to learn from, plenty to teach from. Again, Ohio State's big plays kind of worked against them. They only ran 48 offensive plays for the entire game. Minnesota was over 70, and Minnesota had the ball for 39 minutes and moved it kind of between the 20s at will. But, uh, again, when the money was on the line, Ohio State made the plays they had to make to win the game. So, uh Big beneficiary Ohio State was of a defensive touchdown in this game that kind of takes some of the uh, the onus off Stroud to produce uh, such big numbers. But again, I heard your prop that he needed to be over 225 or something like that. He didn't beat that by a whole lot, and it certainly wasn't looking good at halftime. But a huge second half for him, and uh, the Buckeyes are looking forward to build on that uh, performance by C.J. Stroud. Yeah, you're you're right. It was looking it was looking pretty bleak uh, in the first half, making everybody a little bit nervous that that took that over on the on the passing yards. But but what we talked about uh, kind of in the preseason, whenever I had you on here before, just the supporting cast can really benefit uh, the young quarterback had never played before or had never thrown a pass before, and thought he really you know just kind of settled into the game and and just. The, I know what you want to do in the first game, especially on the road in conference. You just want to make enough plays to to get out of there with a win and and just kind of build on that, especially when Stroud's making his first start. But but what did you see from the 
from the running backs. The Mayan Williams obviously was the leader, had nine carries for 125 yards. Master T got in there. And then Henderson, I thought that was I thought that was probably one of the best plays of the game was was the screen to Henderson. Obviously, you can see the speed that he has definitely gonna warrant him a lot more opportunities as we head into the to the still in the early part of the season. But as you head into to this week, I think he bought himself a, a lot more opportunities to get in there and make some plays. Yeah, no doubt. They've got a plethora of running backs that they're going to rely upon. Mayan Williams took over as the starter, and he was kind of a, a power back last year in the limited time that we saw him in the four games. Maybe they got to play only logged 15 carries, I think, in those four games last year. And, of course, Ohio State only played eight games total last season getting to the championship game uh williams uh in the first quarter got in there he was the starter and came back on the second and third series and ripped off a 71 yard touchdown run by his own admission it sounds like he went the wrong way or was lined up on the wrong side of the quarterback at least and took the the give he was supposed to be going left i guess and he went right and kind of double crossed his offense and the defense and uh he beat the safety to the corner, gave him a big stiff arm, and then nobody caught him going down the sideline, which was even more stunning, perhaps, than uh, getting to the corner. So uh, he has definitely improved his strength and his speed from what we saw out of him last year, and he showed on that one play what Ryan Day and Kevin Wilson, the offensive coordinator, and Tony Alford, the running backs coach, what they all saw in him to make him the starter. Travion Henderson, true freshman, was one of the top running back prospects in the country out of the mid-Atlantic area, North Carolina, Virginia. Didn't play last year because of COVID. Uh, There was no high school in his area, his state, I guess, last year. So thought maybe he would be uh, knocking off some of the rust. But in practice, he showed tremendous uh, footwork, tremendous vision. And on that touchdown, he changed lanes a couple times to pick up blockers, to set up blockers, and that's what he gives you, that just that unbridled speed, great footwork, great vision. In the open field, he is very slippery. So I think you've got thunder and lightning there with Williams being the thunder, Henderson being the lightning, and where that leaves Master Teague, we're not really sure. He had six carries, all of them in the first half, 29 yards. wasn't like he played poorly. But I think the coaches made the decision in the second half to go with Williams, who was the hot hand, and obviously to put Henderson in as the changeup back to, to, to give you that kind of uh, electrifying punch, that, uh, that jolt perhaps, that, uh, that the defense wasn't quite ready for. And uh, they made quite a tandem. So, again, explosive plays were Ohio State's friend in this game. I think four touchdowns of – 50 yards or longer in the course of this game. And so uh, some big plays out of the Ohio State uh, offense. And, and again, will you be able to keep that going against great opponents down the line when you get into games against Penn State, who showed a tremendous defense in their win against Wisconsin? Some of the other teams you're going to play as the season wears on as well. So, and then obviously if you get in, to the Big Ten Championship against an Iowa, perhaps, who was dominant against Indiana, into a playoff against Alabama or Georgia uh, or even Clemson. All their defenses looked amazing this past weekend. So 
remains to be seen, obviously, what's going to happen as the season plays out. But, uh, again, Ohio State pushed toward 500 yards total offense. Uh, the running back's a big part of that, both running and catching the ball out of the backfield. And we'll just see what uh, what direction this offense takes going into week two against Oregon. No doubt. And, and, and switching over to kind of the defensive side of the ball, it seems like a lot of the questions that we had going into the season about uh, Ohio State on defense kind of played out uh, in, in game one. Obviously, Ibrahim from Minnesota had a had a great night. Hate that, that he got hurt and is going to be out for the season because he seemed like he was going to be – seemed like he was on his way to having a really special year, even though it was only game one. But it seems like a lot of the, the questions that we had uh, in the secondary about Ohio State kind of or kind of showed themselves uh, again. Just and you mentioned the the defenses that that showed great dominance uh, in week one. They could possibly run up against two in the in the college football playoff and and facing an offense this week uh, in Oregon that has a dynamic running quarterback in Anthony Brown that can make some plays. C.J. Verdell is back at running back for them, have some receivers that have a lot of speed as well. Just what When we talk about the, the week one to week two jump, what do you see as, as being some areas where Ohio State really needs to get better on defense heading into week two? Yeah, there was some good and then there was some bad. Start up out front, uh, the, the defensive front did not exert a lot of pressure on uh, Tanner Morgan, first half in particular. Second half, Zach Harrison came around the edge and knocked the ball away from Morgan, and it went right to Haskell Garrett. He picked it up and took it in about 35 yards for a touchdown, and that pushed the Ohio State lead to 31-20, something like that, midway through the third quarter, and finally gave the Buckeyes some breathing room. Uh, Minnesota kicked a field goal, got it down to 10, I think, after that, maybe even as close as seven after that, I'm not sure, but... Ohio State was able to slam the door on them uh, down the stretch. And, uh, yeah, the field goal actually cut it down to seven. And uh, the Buckeyes were able to get a stop or two at the end and another turnover. Uh, Lathan Ransom knocked the ball away from uh, an Oregon receiver. A big heavy hit was originally called targeting. And they overruled it. A lot of talk about targeting right now, obviously. But uh, Ohio State's defense, the front, was okay and made the one huge play. And then what you saw in the back seven was a constant shuffling of players at all seven positions, really. The only guy in the back seven who was a holdover from last year that played was Josh Proctor, the safety, and he was having a heck of a game. He left the game midway through the fourth quarter with an injury. Uh, Bryson Shaw came in and replaced him to finish the game, did a pretty good job. Uh, We're not sure of Proctor about his status for this week. Coach Day really doesn't discuss injuries. But along the same lines, uh, two of the potential starting cornerbacks, Seven Banks, who started last year, and Cameron Brown, who was kind of penciled in to be a starter this year, both missed the game due to injuries. Brown didn't even travel to Minnesota. Banks was there in uniform, but didn't even warm up and would have only been used in an emergency situation. So they are hoping to get one or both of those guys back this week for Oregon would be huge. But what we saw in the back seven – was what you'd expect to see when you put six guys who have never played, and and I mean for some of them never played into games, or if they have played, it was just special teams or mop-up time on defense. 
That's what it looks like. Ronnie Hickman had a great game as an outside linebacker. They call him the the bullet position. It's kind of a hybrid safety and linebacker. He I think led the team with eleven tackles. A uh, Dallas Gant, a middle linebacker, I think he had ten tackles, but he also had a very costly roughing the uh, passer penalty that negated an interception by Josh Proctor. Uh, on the outside, you had Denzel Burke, a true freshman, never played it down of college football, started at cornerback. He had a pass interference penalty in the end zone to put the ball at the two-yard line, set up a touchdown. Uh, on the other side, Ryan Watts, uh, he got beat deep and had an interference penalty as well in the game. He was a uh, sophomore, I believe. And then a redshirt freshman, Lejon Cavazos, played in this game as well at cornerback. And uh, he slipped on a big run by Ibrahim and gave up a 50-yard run. He was there to make the tackle and didn't make the tackle. And then had blanket coverage on uh, one of their receivers in the end zone. Guy went up and made a great catch over him. Again, this is what it looks like when guys have never played a down of football at the college level. You know, they're battling. They're giving it everything they have. Come back and see me in six games, and maybe they'll play at an all-Big Ten level. But uh, as of right now, they're not quite there yet. So that's what it looks like. Ohio State gave up over 400 yards and 31 points to Minnesota. That's way too much. And although Minnesota's got a pretty good team, uh, Minnesota would probably have been an 8-4 and four team if Ibrahim had played. Now probably going to struggle to make a bowl game without him just because he made their offense so much better. But uh, at least on that night, Minnesota was a pretty good offensive team. And uh, the Buckeyes had their hands full. And uh, they won some battles. They lost some battles. Lived to fight another day is kind of the, the feeling there. And they're going to continue to shuffle guys truly at about eight or nine of the 11 positions on defense are going to be a rotating, uh, you know, a rotating wheel, uh, at least in these early weeks. Yeah, there's no doubt. And then you want to just have things to work on. It helps to it helps to be able to get a win, which they certainly did, and be able to go back and and correct some of those things. And you're and you're right about Ibrahim of Minnesota. It seemed like he really made their offense go really well. And 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 Tanner Morgan's gonna have to to do a lot with his arm, it seems like now. So I'm, I'm with you. There feels like they're definitely gonna struggle to make a bowl game but before we get into the type of game that that I wanted to to get into with you about Ohio State and Oregon I did want to ask you about the target and penalties obviously there's so many in the game so many in that Ole Miss Louisville game had a still a couple in the Ohio State game as well it, it seems like to me and 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 I'm all for player safety I'm all I'm, I know the reasons why the the rule is in place and it's it's enforced properly but it seems to me like there needs to be, it, you know, kind of what I would what I would like to see is is possibly the like the flagrant system in college basketball. You have a flagrant one, flagrant two type of foul, just a kind of a judgment call there. And then if you know if it's a it's a flagrant one, he can obviously stay. Player can obviously stay in the game, and and if obviously if it happens again, then you then you toss him from the game, but. But it seems like to me that they're not, we ought to be able to come up with some system uh, like that, if not the exact same, to to really kind of help out with some of these uh, ejections because the the penalties are what they are. But really, I think what fans are really most most frustrated about is the fact that that you're ejected from the game after that one offense. Well, that and the stoppages. We had some targeting stoppages that went on for about five minutes 
because they deliberated and really struggled with these uh, videotapes of these plays. Uh, there were some examples this weekend, and I, I, I would subscribe to your theory. I like the idea that you have that if something on the first go-round is completely egregious, it's flagrant too, and you're gone, and no questions asked. We saw that last night in the game with Ole Miss and Louisville. The quarterback went into a slide, and not one but two uh, Louisville players dropped the hammer on him. And it took them three or four minutes to deliberate that and make the obvious decision. I think it was number eight who got ejected, but I think number 37 was also right there. And I was joking with the guy I was watching the game. I said, this is going to be the first time in recorded history that one hit's going to disqualify two players because it very well could have been. I mean, they both went high on him as he went into his slide. And I think the quarterback Definitely, and it's not, you know, that we want to, like the NFL protects the quarterbacks, one, because people pay and tune in to see Tom Brady and Ben Roethlisberger and these other guys, you know, whoever name, you know, Patrick Mahomes or whoever it may be, uh, people tune in to watch the quarterback play football. That's that's what the game's all about. They don't tune in to watch Mason Rudolph or, you know, whoever the backup is for some of these teams or, Brandon Whedon for the Browns instead of Baker Mayfield. So you want to protect the quarterback at all costs. Those guys are making the most money. And you see last year when Roethlisberger goes out, and I don't know if it was because of a hit that he took from a defender or anything like that, but you know the, the fortune for the team goes down the tubes for the season. So you really want to protect those guys. And I think in college it's it's also safety as well in terms of those guys are important for the team standpoint, but also safety, just because, again, um, you know, they're unprotected in a, lot, in a lot of these cases. So I am of a belief that there should be a flagrant one, flagrant two system, just like you described, with the leeway that if something like that, where they lower the boom on the quarterback, then number eight from Louisville can go straight to flagrant two and go straight out of the game. Um, the issue that I have on the whole with it in that game last night, again, another play where the running back is hunkering down to protect himself from the hit and the defender is not really launched himself, but he has targeted the sternum or the, uh, and target isn't even really the right word. He has positioned his body to hit the player here. And, and, and should he be leading with the helmet? No, but it's kind of leading with helmet and chest, you know. And then the, the runner lowers his head and his helmet, and now you've got helmet-to-helmet -helmet contact that in many respects was dictated because the runner lowered his head. And now the defender is being completely thrown out of the game, had no intent to hit the guy high. I mean, are, are they now supposed to aim for the guy's belt buckle? or his belly or something. I don't think that's a really, that's not form tackling. So, you know, safety is job one. And that is what has got to prevail. I was reading uh, Pat Forty or somebody who had written about this and uh, maybe one of the other guys who covers the sport nationally, it may not have been him, but they, they went, or maybe, maybe it was Pete Futak, I think from college football news. And he said they went to these draconian measures, you know, five, six, seven years ago, whatever it was, with an ejection 
so that coaches would teach the proper tackling technique and players would get away from launching themselves to where the helmet, the, you know, the crown of their helmet would come up under the face mask or the crown of their helmet would hit the side of somebody's head or, you know, hit them in the neck. We don't want any of that. Anything above the shoulders to me is, is just not acceptable. So I think uh, they, they went to the ejection penalty to really stress this is something that has to be cleaned up and addressed. Otherwise, your playing privileges, the playing privileges of your best defensive players are going to be taken away from you, and you may lose a game because of it. So, um, you know, that's that's the long and the short of it. But uh, I agree there should be a, a two-part system to it. And, um, you know, again, I, I, I struggle with it. I think it's good they did away with having the guys leave the field. That was such a, you know, walk of shame, embarrassing type situation. But the penalty in some cases where there's absolutely no intent doesn't really fit the crime. And I think that we need to come to some kind of a happy medium here uh, with with how they handle it. Um, I'm just, uh, as I was kind of reading, as I said, I think it was Pete Futak, was, was writing about it, and people can check some of what he had to say uh, on Tuesday about this. Just uh, he, had, he had a lot of good points he made. Yeah, and I mean, I'm, I'm with you about, about you know, to me, if the, if the offensive player uh, initiates the, the contact, you know, it's kind of like, you know, in basketball with a charge or something like that when the offensive player initiates the contact. I'm not saying the offensive player should, should be penalized for that, either but to me that could just go down as as a no call type of deal yeah i think that's a good way to look at it i think uh again um you know i think it's human nature for the runner to protect the football first of all and to go into that shell you know to try and absorb for the hit because you know it's coming and uh it's tough i mean it's a collision contact sport and it is brutal down on the sideline the times when i shoot pictures and everything i'm amazed at some of the hits that that happen and amazed at some of the hits where people stand up and and go back to the huddle and other hits where they're down and it it is uh it is it is rough but uh you know that's that's just kind of the 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 way of this game um this is what uh you know, people know and they expect when they play football and uh, you want to keep it as safe as you can for people. You want people to be able to have great and long football careers, play as long as they want. And these type of hits take uh, some of those miles off the careers of some of these guys. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And, and the, the final question I have for you, Steve, before I let you run, is, is just about just kind of what you're expecting from this matchup on Saturday between Ohio State and Oregon, just from watching Oregon the other night against Fresno State, it seems like they're obviously very capable on defense, but it seems like a game where Ohio State can can create some of those explosives like they had the other night, really put some points on the board. And to me, it really boils down to, to Ken Anthony Brown and, and C.J. Verdell and those guys on Oregon's offensive side. Can they hang uh, with Ohio State? in the shoe on Saturday nights. Just what's what's one or two things that that you're that you're really looking for 
uh, in this game that can really decide the outcome uh, of this game for, for Ohio State. Yeah, I think we're in for a heck of a game. And I think obviously one thing that bears watching is the status of the All-American defensive end, Kayvon Thibodeau, uh, for Oregon. He left that game in the first half. And uh, an apparent ankle injury, it seemed, for Kayvon Thibodeau. He is a first-team preseason All-American uh, for uh, Oregon and a tremendous, tremendous talent, no question about it. And uh, he suffered the ankle injury. He came back and tried to tape it up, tried to warm up, tried to go in the second half, but just could not make it work, unfortunately for him, and was in street clothes on the sideline in the second half. So that's not good. Uh, They had another player, a linebacker, I think Malone is his name, who also left that game uh, due to a knee injury. And I do not uh, believe he's going to be available uh, for this week's game against Ohio State. So they're down one and maybe two guys on the defensive side of the football. And what was interesting was Oregon had command of the game, and without Thibodeau, Fresno State on offense was able to chip away and get back in the game and even tie it, you know, late in the game. And it was Oregon, as you mentioned, the quarterback, Anthony Brown, kind of reminded me a little bit of C.J. Barrett, the former Ohio State quarterback, kind of a run-pass type guy. He uh, ripped off a 30-yard touchdown run with two and a half minutes to go, and they finally took the lead for good, 31-24. to They got a stop on defense, uh, got the ball back, and finally had the game put away uh, with Fresno out of timeouts, and Oregon got a first down with one minute and 22 seconds to go in the game. This game went deep into the 59th minute before they beat Fresno State. Now, Fresno State is predicted to be a contender in the Mountain West this year. They had an okay team last year. And, uh, you know, we'll see how they do as they go through their season. But it was a much tougher than expected opener for Oregon. They were 20-point favorite, and uh, they won the game by seven. So take that for whatever it's worth. They're coming out to Ohio State. I think Ohio State's been installed as close to a two-touchdown favorite, I believe, over Oregon, which uh, I think some of that is due to Ohio State's big play capability. Um, We saw that Fresno actually outgained Oregon in this game. I don't think Brown was as dynamic as a thrower, 15 of 24 for 172 yards and a touchdown. Longest pass was 32 yards. Longest run was his 30-yard touchdown run. So, you know, they didn't hit any big plays. Oregon didn't against Fresno. So, Ohio State's defense, back to the drawing board for them in many regards. If they can hold Oregon, let's say, to 24, 27 points, I think they win this game, you know, pretty easily. Uh, Ohio State played a game against Miami, Florida a few years ago. And just kind of the, the the this game kind of reminds me of that game. It was in Columbus, I want to say in 2010, and uh, Miami came in looking to spring the upset. They made a few plays. Ohio State made more plays. Won the game 36 to 24. I'm kind of thinking along those lines, maybe maybe 41 24, something along those lines. Entertaining game, but uh, again, Ohio State's just got too much firepower. And uh, we'll see. Oregon's making a long trip. 9 a.m. Pacific time start for them. That's a hardship, as we talked about. And Ohio State, first home game with fans 
in almost two full years, it's going to be a big day at Ohio Stadium. Yeah, there's no doubt, and, and I'm with you. I'm expecting, you know, Oregon. Oregon's probably going to they're going to score a few points, especially if, if Ohio State still has some of those questions on defense, still trying to figure that out. So they're going to probably score a little bit of points, but just think of Ohio State's explosive ability is is too much. So I'd be on the lines with you on on the score, expecting Ohio State to win the game. And and Steve, thanks so much for for spending some time uh, with me today. Really, I uh, always appreciate. Uh, you and, and your time. Definitely looking forward to having you back on again throughout the season. But tell everybody where they can find you on social media and and where they can you know they can find your work uh, over on over on Button Nuts twenty four seven. Yeah, I'll just throw this in there. After the Minnesota game, uh, Coach Day was asked about now going from playing at Minnesota to coming home and playing Oregon, which is ranked as the number twelve team in the country. You know, going into this game this week, Ohio State's up a spot from number four to number three, and he goes. We're going to go home, we're going to play Oregon, and we're going to come up for air. And he didn't say it, but obviously after they play Oregon, things get considerably easier for a number of weeks. They're playing Tulsa, Akron, and then into Big Ten play, I think, with Rutgers, Maryland, and some other lesser teams before they go to Indiana, have kind of the meat of the schedule uh, later on. So uh, that's, that's kind of where we all are at right now get through this week and then come up for air after that and uh, kind of, you know, refigure where things are at after two, two games, but uh, bucknuts.com at Steve Hellwagon, H E L W A G E N on Twitter. And we're covering Ohio state, Oregon this week. All kinds of stuff will be on the site about uh, this great rivalry. Ohio state's nine and O all time against the university of Oregon. In the last meeting, Ohio state won 42 to 20. National Championship game in January 2015, played down at Jerry World there in Texas. Uh, the great uh, Joey Bosa, Zico Elliott, Cardale Jones team capped off the National Championship and beat Marcus Mariota in Oregon that day, 42-20. Uh, to 20. So, Buckeyes looking to stay undefeated against the Ducks. No doubt. And three, three, three quarterbacks that year for, for Ohio State in, in 2014. A lot of people thought that they shouldn't make the playoff, but they did. Uh, they thought that TCU or Baylor should have been in, but but I think the, the committee got it right. I thought Cardell Jones played well and and really just spoke to the to the strength of that team being able to being able to win that national championship, having to play three quarterbacks in that year. Yeah, no doubt. That was a great memory for Ohio State fans and you know, it remains to be seen whether this is a team that's going to be a playoff team or a national championship uh, caliber, you know, game type team or not. We'll see. Yep, we will. And and if our predictions hold up, they'll make it uh, 10 and 0 uh, on Saturday against Oregon. But Steve, thanks so much. And, and look forward to catching up with you again in a few weeks. All right. Take care. Thanks so much to Steve for coming on today. And thank you for watching and listening to Crunch Time Plays today. Make sure you hit that subscribe button on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. It's been another edition of Crunch Time Plays. God bless everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Crunch Time Plays with your host, Bennett Ganey. Make sure to like, subscribe, and follow at Plays Crunch on Twitter and Instagram.